Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT Podcast, your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Eli, back with you on the AAMFT podcast. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know throughout the course of the last year, we've been highlighting different topical interest networks of the new AMFT. An interest network is something that promotes member choice generated around special interest in the field of systemic therapy. There are many to choose from, things like family therapists in schools, margins to the center, which is all about cultural connections, Queer and Trans Advocacy Network that we featured on the show before. And today we're talking about two of the most popular, probably the two as far as numbers-wise, the two most popular topical interest networks, Couples and Intimate Relationships and Family Therapist and Healthcare. And to do that, we'll have leadership from each group talk about what's going on in the field and then specifically what members are getting. So let's start by talking to the chair of the Couple and Intimate Relations Network, Dr. Chris Bellows. Chris is an associate professor and the director of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Purdue University Northwest, formerly known as Purdue Calumet, back when I used to supervise there. Affectionately known as Dr. B, he's an LMFT, an approved supervisor, and a certified sex educator with ASEC. He's also a certified family life educator. He loves couples, as you can tell. He's passionate about the field, our organization, and he's going to talk to you about what this interest network has to offer and how you can get involved. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously you're interested in systemic thinking and couple and family therapy. The Couple and Intimate Relationship Topical Interest Network is brand new and very popular. First question is just tell us a little about it as far as the mission and the goals. So uh, the Couples and Intimate Relationships uh, Network, you know, it's funny, we, as, as a leadership team, we keep going back and forth as to what to uh, call it, to shorten it up a little bit. It is uh, kind of long, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the, the acronym is C-I-R-T-I-N. And so we keep debating whether it should be certain or curtain. So whichever people feel like going with. But, uh, you know, uh, the thing that we're trying to do is enhance and promote the uh, both the practice, research, and interest in uh, couples and intimate relationships across a wide spectrum of diversity. So that includes couple relationships, dyad plus relationships, any kind of romantic or intimate connection between people, uh, as well as uh, practicing in, in the realm of sex therapy, uh, sexuality to a point, but also enhancing and increasing uh, people's satisfaction in both of these realms. So one of the things that we've been trying to do in our first year and are going to continue to try to do next year as well, uh, especially for our members, but also for the general public and the general AAMFT 
population and membership is to provide resources, information, training opportunities, help foster a sense of connection uh, amongst people who are interested in these areas, and really develop this network of people who can who can lean and work with each other to advance all of these interests. Great. And we're going to break that down and talk exactly about what you get by being a member. But first, let's talk about because you know you are an a- academic MFT as I, I am as well, and you have kind of one foot in training therapist, and you're very passionate about your work uh, with couples. I'm curious what you think are some of the emerging trends and clinical issues facing couples therapists today. Uh, one of the biggest things I think in terms of the practice of couples therapy is uh, you know the idea of reimbursement, insurance, um, being able to practice with a couple both ethically and fiscally responsibly. So I actually was just talking to a clinician in the area where I live, and they were uh, you know, lamenting about the fact that they have to be completely private pay because they want to work exclusively with couples. And, uh, you know, and, and so not being able to think outside the box or being able to work with insurance companies to be able to discuss how to be able to submit for reimbursement that way. So I think that that is a a large scale problem for people who want to focus on working with couples is uh, how to be able to build a practice and be able to uh, acknowledge the work that they do as couple and systemic therapists. uh, Because specifically uh, the way the mental health field is set up right now is that it's really set up for individuals. So that way there you can see an individual, diagnose them, submit it to insurance companies and get paid for it. But once somebody else comes in the room, if you tell the insurance company, you have to you know work through the family CPT code and half the time those CPT codes uh, don't get reimbursed, especially not at the same rate as individual therapy, but then also you continue to have to diagnose individually for one specific person and the other people in the room uh, are not necessarily considered uh, as important or really a part of the process, especially to the same level as the individual. And so to me, at least, that's the thing that I hear most people talking about, being worried about in terms of, of practice and longevity of, of doing couples therapy. Because I know that's always a somewhat awkward conversation as a couples therapist has to say when you just had an opening meeting and it's clearly a relational problem. But the way our billing works is one person has to take the diagnosis, which seems the antithesis of a systemic thinking. So how do you think the field, uh, as far as pushing for more kind of macro advocacy, how do you think we address that with third party payers and, and larger systems like that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's honestly it's, it's a little bit more of a, of a long term uphill battle there is obviously there's easy fix right you know if everybody in in the country were just on board and we were able to wave a magical wand uh, we could make it happen tomorrow but um, and that's you know adding a CPT code and getting it through the process for couples therapy as opposed to uh, simply family therapy or family psychotherapy as it's labeled Uh, and then going from that to requiring insurance companies to reimburse for that either without a diagnosis or accepting focus of clinical treatments as acceptable diagnostic categories that would I think that would alleviate the problem like if we could use a z code and say you know there isn't necessarily a mental health disorder but there is something that is here that needs clinical attention and then insurance companies third-party payers were able to say and and see the value in that by looking at say the research that discusses how you know working on the couple relationship or the family relationship can actually decrease health risks and and other 
uh, long-term effects that influence people's you know ability to function in society. If, if we looked at that research and connected it back and really saw systemically across the board how all of these things are continually related and, and, and we could make that happen, I think that would bring us to that point of, of accepting what we need. Yes. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. And so. I do think that is so vastly needed because sometimes we talk about therapists maybe not doing more couples work because they don't feel either adequately trained. So they, out of their own anxiety, unnecessarily break down the system, the individual, but this is the opposite of that. people that are trained and it is in their scope of competence and practice, but they can't get paid for it. So I do think advocacy on that level and the way you're suggesting it would be huge. All right. What else is uh, emerging as far as uh, facing the fields of couples therapist from your, from your view? Well, and that's, and you know, I think that gets right at, at the other levels. I think these things are kind of all create or are connected, obviously, you know, thinking systemically as, as we do, uh, you can't really look at the practice without considering the research and the teaching aspect of it. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. A lot of people don't we, we go through our training programs and we're expected to do 50% relational, which includes, uh, you know, couples and families. But a lot of people walk out the door and they say, you know, I had one course and, and couples therapy and some experience. Um, so how do I keep going? And then they continue to go to, you know, CE workshops or, or kind of search for people who can tell them what to do, at least at first. That's been my experience in seeing people kind of graduating and, and continuing out into the field. Um, and I know that you've done some really great work on it. And, uh, you know, obviously I trained under um, Adrian Blow at Michigan State for my doctoral education. So I was also pretty heavily influenced by the idea of common factors and um, worked with several other people and talked about evidence-based practice. And so for me, I, I'm heavily influenced as a, as a clinician, academic, and teacher on evidence-based practice as well. And I think that's a huge component that needs to come in that will help people to feel confidence in their approach, whatever that may be. Because as we know, the approach doesn't matter as much as uh, the relationship and the connection and the confidence that the therapist feels and what it is that they're doing. So if we could find a way to increase that through establishing uh, research evidence, as, as well as like offering opportunities uh, for people to talk about it and be able to know that what they're doing is effective in some way, that that's going to increase the efficacy overall and then of couples therapy and then be able to uh, ripple out and show and provide continued support of the fact that this is, is very viable and something that needs to have more of a prominent place in the mental health field. Yeah, well said. And uh, I'm all for anything that will help increase the quality of training, both when professionals are young in their training programs and, and then when we leave. So I think when I think of an interest network like a couple and intimate relationships, I think there's probably a place for students, mm -hmm. uh, preclinical fellows before licensure, and then certainly even experienced uh, pros as far as LMFTs that work a lot with couples. So mm -hmm. when, when you think of those different levels and this being a resource for them, let's talk about in each of those ways, what, what young professionals can get out of it mm -hmm. by joining and even what more experienced people that have years and years and hours and hours and hours of couples therapy under their belts. Cause uh, it's really meant to be inclusive, bedded in the title, as you said, but also every, every part about what AMFT is trying to do as far as with these interest networks, as far as member choice. So this is, a, as I said, among the most popular. So let's talk about it at each level. Let's start with young professionals. What can what can they get out of the interest network? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing that young professionals can get out of this is really 
a sense of belonging and connection. There's obviously like a lot of resources and that spans across your experience level uh, that we're working to build. But um, I think the sense of belonging and connection to a specific group of people that have a shared interest, I think is incredibly powerful. This first year, we've been working very hard to simply try to like establish foundation, a base with which to build and grow and do even more with. And uh, in the coming year, we have a bunch of ideas, uh, things that we want to continue to work on. Um, and this is, you know, across the board. And so uh, as a young professional, we have ways that they can interact and access people with, uh, I guess if we're going with the same vernacular that, uh, you know, young professionals versus, I don't want to say old professionals, let's say experienced professionals. Uh, there's access and ability to connect with these people. Uh, it's always fascinating to see somebody like post something, say, onto our discussion board on our website. And, uh, you know, somebody who has a lot of experience will say, oh, yeah, I know about this, this resource. And so here you go and, and share something. And it's and you can tell that these people might be in very different places of the country, but you're able to get connections, feedback, get knowledge from all of uh and and i think that that is incredibly valuable and i think it goes both ways too because i i think along with confidence growing the more experience that you have you also tend to continue to think inside your own box because you're establishing your box as you become a more experienced professional and then you stop thinking outside of it and uh, new professionals coming in really have the opportunity to continue to influence uh development of both experienced clinicians and people who are starting out as well. And so that connection, that belonging is really important, but then uh, being able to, to to work with everybody all at once, I think is is profound. I, th- I, so, I don't know, to me, I think that's a big thing. So for young friends, resource sharing, yes, to be able to ask a question and to be able to get response both from your peers, clinically young and more mature is, is huge. And then I think this idea of connecting with people, this will, we will always be a face-to-face profession, but this idea of using virtual resources to form relationships and mentorships. So in the infancy of, of this network, you think it's possible uh, for young clinicians to make young MFTs interested in couple therapy to make connections with more experienced couples therapists? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The, it's it's the resources, the ability to connect, but also then the opportunities that exist through being able to advance your professional career as well, but get that feedback from people within the network. So as they say, write a small piece in the newsletter, or uh, they can put something on our discussion board, or you know, we have our research briefs that are, are coming out and starting uh, we have more and more of them coming out as as the months continue on. And, you know, we're just kind of establishing all of these different elements. But so, yeah, it is about resources, but it's also about opportunities for themselves to develop either in terms of leadership, picking up a position and being involved and feeling like they actually have a say in the future of future directions of things such as advocacy and, and uh, you know, leadership roles, either in the interest network uh, Plus, uh, leadership roles in the interest networks uh, can lead towards recognition and leadership roles in larger parts of the organization. And so it's it's that connection, but it's also a gateway to a whole lot more as well. Yes, you mentioned earlier the, the importance of proving what we do is both uh, certainly an art, but also a science. So the research base, and you just mentioned those research briefs. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what those will involve? 
Yeah, for sure. So we have a few out now. The very first one, for example, was on evidence-based practice. And that, that was important to me. So I, you know, we had this idea to establish these research briefs, which are members only. So if you're a member of the network, you log in on our website, and then you will see an option on the menu that says research briefs. Uh, if you click on that, it takes you to a page, and you can download all of them. Uh, and so you just go in there and you click. And uh, so they're very short, uh, and and we did that very purposely so that they're accessible not only to clinicians and researchers and stuff, but this was one of the ways we wanted to close the gap between um, people who are publishing or writing in journals that might not be accessible to the clinician who's working in the field uh, because they're not connected with an academic institution and uh, being able to uh, get access to all of that. So we recruited a position for a research briefs editor and that person goes through and they collect uh, articles, uh, recent research, they read through stuff, they summarize it all down and boil it down to an easily digestible kind of main point give you what you need to be able to either pique your interest to go find more or at least be able to consider it to integrate it within your practice. So I'm just going to keep talking. I really like the uh, <laughs> the evidence-based practice one that we put out. It has like the steps, the components, what it actually is, how you can do it, and, and why it's important to integrate that within your practice. And that's why I really like it because everybody can get it and use at least some part of it in some way. Uh, so you know, academics can use it. You could actually give it to your your students if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, researchers can use it just to get like a little refresher or see something else. Even enjoying evidence-based practice like I do uh, when uh, Ronald, uh, he's our research briefs editor. He's a graduate student at Michigan State finishing up his dissertation. When he sent it over to me, I was reading through it and I was like, dang, I completely forgot about this entire area of, of evidence-based practice. And it was just like a little quick reminder for me. And it was really wonderful. Uh, it was kind of eye-opening. So I encourage everybody to go check them out. Yeah, they're written in a very accessible way. So Absolutely. In, in the sense that, you know, you're not caught in uh, sometimes minutia of a journal article. If you are a frontline clinician and you don't have access, you're out of your graduate program. It also keeps you up to date with the yeah. field in a way, as I say, is very research informed in how you do your work and very easy to get. So what will in upcoming in 2020, what will future briefs look like, Chris? Yeah, so we're um, so we're trying to connect them a little bit with like the newsletter arcs, um, just so that way there there's uh, you know kind of the components that we're writing about in there are then connected with the research briefs stuff. So I believe the next one that's coming out is going to be the connection and a little bit of information around between attachment and uh, emotion focused therapy. And then uh, past that, we're going to continue on looking at things like uh, looking at specific approaches to couples' work, uh, specific topical areas that somebody might need a refresher, ideas, or help with, such as how the couple relationship is impacted when children are diagnosed with uh, developmental disabilities, for example, or how uh, sexual satisfaction influences couple satisfaction, and then some information about how to integrate that within your practice. So the important thing that I, I also kind of want to put out there is like, yes, we've got all these ideas and we really want to uh, put all these together. Uh, but at the same time, we, I, especially as, uh, you know, the, the chairperson right now, want to really make this a membership-driven approach. And so I really want, like, our members to let me know what what they need for their research briefs, what topics they're interested in hearing about. So that way there we can access that information and provide the summaries that are most useful for our members. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the new AMFT is member driven, member choice. So talk about the end, how they can contact you directly. But yeah, you're very accessible and that is the way to go. So we got newsletters, we got these briefs, we have the ability to network. Another thing I know that I'm also excited about are these um, webinars or kind of uh, virtual offerings. Can you talk a little bit about that, Post both what's happened kind of in 2019 and 2020, what's planned and beyond? Sure. Yeah. So education. Uh, so, you know, I, we, I think that that's really important. And I think there has to be something besides, uh, you know, being able to go to a website and access resources that uh, makes it kind of worth it. For membership, because you know, otherwise it's kind of you know a line on your resume or or something else that's a line on your right. It has to have value, (laughs) of course. So we have done uh, three webinars in uh, 2019, which was beyond what we had originally planned. We had hoped for two, um, and so we were able to do three. And next year we're going to be, or in 2020 we're going to be doing. uh, I believe we have planned four, and uh, but then we also want, and those are four ones that we're going to recruit and have very specific, uh, more, I'm air quoting here, more like famous type people presenting on something that's quick, but people get a CE out of it and uh, it's directly applicable right into their practice or into their research. Uh, But we also want to establish uh, free webinars where they can be like mini consultation groups or a way to like simply go and talk about a topic and brainstorm as like a collaborative together uh, component, which I think is going to be really, really cool uh, once we get that running. Um, so the webinars we had this year was Arthur Nielsen's Approach to Couples Therapy, uh, which is based in more of a cognitive behavioral theoretical framework. But he really further developed that, and that was based off of uh, his most recent book. Uh, we are also, and the one that I'm, I'm really pumped about this as well, too, we have a the webinar that we had in December is on polyamory, which a lot of people don't necessarily feel incredibly comfortable working with because there's it's not generally something that you have worked with a lot of people have worked with over the years and so um, this is going to give everybody the opportunity to to learn a lot uh, about that process and establishing and working with couples when there's more than just two people there and so that's that's happening on uh, you know December 6th and so that's a lot of fun and that'll be all of these webinars by the way are also available if you hear and see things and you want to learn more about it they, they are broadcast live initially, but then after that, they are available on the Tenio web platform for a pretty significantly reduced rate. And so it, uh, even if you're not able to make it to the original broadcast, you can always follow up afterwards and get, get the same stuff. Uh, so we're doing a lot. I enjoy the webinars. You get a CE for them. We did, so we did the, the Arthur Nielsen's, uh, therapy under CBT. We had Linda Weiner come and talk about Sensate Focus. Uh, we also uh, at the conference uh, raffled off and gave away uh, a signed copy of her book. So that that was something really cool that members were able to get. And then we had the we we're having the one on polyamory. And then next year we're looking into uh, even potentially having uh, continuing to have. Uh, larger and larger people being able to come and give, uh, you know, brief overviews. So we've batted around the idea. None of this is confirmed yet, but we've batted around the idea of doing uh, someone who's incredibly well-versed, like an official certified trainer and 
Gottman or EFT, talking about other sexuality-related topics. We're considering uh, people coming in as well, too, that are big names, say, such as yourself, yeah, um, Eli. Like we're, We've bet around the idea of having you come in and do a webinar for us and being able to talk about your approach to this work and, and how that can you know help and foster people's growth and development. And But but again, it, it kind of all comes back to, like, we have all these ideas as, as four people uh, who hold these positions. But a big part of who I am is I don't want, like I very much take a non-expert stance. So I don't want to just decide things and do it. I want, I would rather have the the membership say, this is what we need. This is what we would like. And then put it out there, like foster it and, and help it to grow. So uh, we got several ideas at the um, conference. And actually one of them that we got that people wrote down several times where they wanted to learn more about polyamory. And so that's why uh, we reached out to Martha Kalpi, and uh, she is the person who is going to be doing uh, or did our webinar in December. And and so that's, you know, I think that's that's an example of how we're also working with our, our membership to make sure they get what they want. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, let's talk about now, if, if I'm listening to this and I am, you know, because well, if people listen to the podcast that are certainly MFTs, but also people that are just interested in working with couples. So let's talk, if you are already a member of AAMFT, how do you join the Couples and Intimate Relationships uh, Topical Interest Network, Chris, and what what will it cost me to join? Because membership, we have always have that question. So, yeah, this sounds great. Networking, webinars, resources, research briefs, but you know, my I have a finite amount of time, money, and time to spend. What will what will this set me back? Oh, it is. Uh, it's incredibly easy to join. If you go to our website, which is uh, networks.aamft.org/couples, uh, there is a box in the corner on the right hand side that says "How to Join," and it says. Add membership quickly and easily through your AMFT account online. Uh, you can click Add Network and do that. You can also um, email any of us and we can send you the link if that's easier for you. But quite literally, it's as easy as going into your AMFT account and saying, I'd like to add the network. And you can do that at any time. Um, the if when you go in if you're renewing your membership which for most people happens around october it'll ask you if you want to join any networks as well what we really want to do is we wanted to make sure that our student members and people who were not uh, kind of long term were going to be able to have affordable uh, you know, connection. It is a tiered structure, uh, and and what we try to do is uh, the cheapest rate is ten dollars, uh, and that's for uh, students and affiliates, uh, pre-allied uh, and um, allied mental health professionals pay fifteen dollars for their year-long membership, and then uh, preclinical and clinical fellows only pay twenty-five dollars, and that's for an entire year of membership. And and what you get out of that is that uh, comes into our reserves to be able to pay for these speakers and these different resources. Um, And then um, you get uh, significantly reduced registration rates for these webinars if you want the CE. Then, so like, so for example, the research briefs and all of the other website and other content is all free. That's what you get um, for your membership rate. And then uh, you get uh, incredibly discounted rates uh, for registering for the webinars. So for example, if you're not a member of the Interest Network, but you're a member of AAMFT and you wanted to listen in live to our polyamory talk, that one would be $50 uh, for an AMFT member in general. For people in our network, uh, it is 
very, very reduced where it is $10. It's similar to your, to the same structure for membership, but $10 for the webinar. Uh, and then it goes up to 25 for a clinical fellows to be able to attend the webinar live. If you're not a member of AMFT at all, um, if you're uh, a clinician or somebody in the general public who would like to uh, listen to one of our webinars or attend one of them. Uh, it, it gets even more expensive, up to I think it's sixty five dollars if you're doing that. Uh, so you know that's one of the the benefits of membership is that you get some of these pretty significantly reduced registration rates for our activities. And and as we develop and grow as a network, uh, that fee will most likely not increase at all because as you mentioned, we are the largest network currently right now at AMFT. And so uh, we're, we're doing fine with that. And what we would like to do is with the, with the income that we're generating is continue to offer more and more types of services. We're talking, for example, with several other networks and, and other uh, parts of the organization about how we can work to uh, bring more for the people interested in our topical area, since so many people are. And that may include sponsoring mini conferences, uh, face-to-face or digital, working with the larger organization about the possibility of helping to sponsor specific speakers, tracks, or pre-conference things. Uh, so, and, and, and members would get special rates for those as well. That would be different than the, the general AMFT or non-AMFT. And in, I am a member of the couple and intimate relationships network. It's very easy to join. I did it mid cycle, sign you right up. It's a nice feature on there that new members introduce themselves in the network. You get to know people again before where we were bound by geography. Now there are, are no limits. I will say in closing here, Chris, you are a great guy to lead this inaugural campaign as the chair of the network and you're very accessible. So in addition to online presence, Chris's um, and the network are present at all AMFT events, obviously the annual conference, uh, and he's very accessible. So tell people how to get in touch with you, email, and then um, uh, you can kind of speak to what AMFT kind of does at national conferences. If you're coming to a first one, there is always a meetup with the interest network. So talk a little bit about how people can reach you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I like to brag that I think I got the easiest email in the world. Um, and that's because uh, my, you know, my last name is a very difficult one uh, overall, but uh, y- yes, pronounce it for our, our, our <laughs> yeah. listeners. Yes. So, uh, you know, my last name Phonetically. is Bellows. <laughs> yeah, it's Bellows. So uh, it's B-E-L-O-U-S. But uh, I like to tell people that pretend there's an extra L and a W in there. And that's easier to think about. So it's just Bellows. Uh, but um, because of that and, and all kinds of other stuff, when, you know, when I accepted my current position, I, I worked with IT and I said, I got to have an easy email because like, I'm, I'm kind of tired of explaining this. Um, and so I actually got uh, C kb at pnw.edu uh, so i'm at purdue university northwest uh, right now uh, in their uh, mft program uh, where i serve as the as the clinical director and an associate professor and um, uh, so when i when i came on board i was like i gotta have something 
easy. People interested in becoming members, people who just want to maybe not become a member, but want to know more about what the network does or how it works. Uh, so feel free to reach out. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm an extrovert. So that's how that works. That's great. Yeah. And <laughs> feel free to come up to Chris at any, at any event that AMFT has. He is uh, well attended. And there are opportunities, as he said, as well. This is the new pathway, not only for inhabiting more of what you love about systemic therapy, in this case, couples and intimate relationships, but also growing in leadership. So there is a pathway to just get involved and become a part of the the leadership of this emerging network and within the new AMFT. So I can't thank you enough, Chris. Thank you for being with us here today on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. And I, I, lo- I love your show. You're great. <laughs> okay. And now to talk about the Family Therapist and Healthcare Topical Interest Network is Jackie Williams-Reed. Jackie uh, holds the distinction now of being the first two-time guest on the show. She joined us not that long ago to talk about integrating spirituality into MFT training and practice, but she serves as the first ever chair. The leadership committee of this Family Therapist and Healthcare Network is responsible for the overall functioning of the network and associated activities, as well as the strategic plan and managing the budget. And they receive support from AMFT with overall guidance and structure, and they report to the AMFT board and the component evaluation committee. So Jackie is joined by Ty Mendenhall as a vice chair, Angela Lampson, also former guest on the show with Jennifer Hodgson. And Kelly Roberts is also the secretary on this topical interest network. So here's Jackie to tell us more about family therapist in healthcare. Okay, so first question, Jackie, the the topical interest network are very uh, important to the new AMFT as far as members choice and really deciding to get value out of your membership, deciding what you want. And Family Therapist and Healthcare Topical Interest Network is among the most popular in the first year to two years of these interest networks in AMFT. So tell us a little bit first about your role with the interest network and then what are the goals and aims of Family Therapist and Healthcare? Yeah, so when I heard about um, WMFT making these tins, I thought, well, you know, family therapist and healthcare, medical family therapy would be a perfect tin. I sort of wonder who's doing that. Someone's probably doing that. And then I'm, I'm really involved in the medical family therapy community, and I wasn't hearing anyone talk about it. And I was like, oh, someone's, I'm, I'm sure someone's doing it. I'm going to check in with, you know, Angela Lampson and Jennifer Hodgson from ECU. I, I, I went to ECU. I'm an alum. So I was like, surely they're doing something. And I emailed them and said, so are you guys starting a tin? Do you know who's starting the medical family therapy tin? And they're like, uh, we don't know anyone starting one, but we think you should. You, you should definitely do it. And so I was a little hesitant to do it. I hadn't really planned on me being the leader, but with their encouragement and their support, uh, the three of us met um, for several months, kind of putting some ideas together, thinking through some things that WMFT wanted us to think about. And then ultimately, when it came time to start it up, I am the chair of it. Um, Angela Lampson is the treasurer, Ty Mendenhall is the vice chair, and Kelly Roberts is the secretary. So I'm on the leadership committee and really have been involved since its inception. And what are the goals and aims of the Family Therapist and Healthcare Interest Network? Yeah, so the field um, of mental health care and healthcare are moving towards integration, uh, working together, working collaboratively, because a, a common thing that medical family therapists will say is there's really no physical illness without mental health effects, and there's no mental health um, illness or um, challenge without physical effects. Like our mind and our bodies are just connected. And so when one um, aspect of our 
our mind or body is struggling, the other one often is struggling or compensating or trying to help or whatever. So they're working together. The fields are both working, moving forward together to integrate. And so we wanted to provide a place for family therapists who are trying to work in healthcare or work even with patients who have a physical illness that's influencing their lives to teach MFTs how to work with both clients and patients and families with healthcare issues and also in healthcare settings. So in administrative positions as well, we have quite a few MFTs who are in more administrative positions in healthcare. And so wanting to teach them how to bring a systemic lens to the healthcare world. Yes. And and many of people listening to this podcast, some are are young professionals, either students or preclinical fellows, others are seasoned. And sometimes they did not get, they didn't have the opportunity to go to a great place like East Carolina, like you did. So they are interested in medical family therapy, but they it's really in the scope of their practice, but not in the scope of their competence yet. They don't know enough about it. Is the Interest Network a place where if I was interested in this, but had not had exposure to this at graduate school that would help me along that path? Yeah, it's interesting. Anytime I speak, I've done several presentations at WMFT about medical family therapy. And even at at Loma Linda University, where I'm a professor, if I just talk about medical family therapy to master's students or doctoral students who haven't heard of it yet, there's often the response of like, what? I haven't heard of this. Like MFTs can work in the medical field. Like I didn't know. So a lot of people, when they hear about the idea, they get excited, but they're also like, I feel left out. Like, how did I not know this was happening? And so I really try to normalize that of not all programs talk about it. Not all MFTs are talking about it, but you have lots of access to this information. You can get certificates. There are some online certificates. There are programs that have it embedded. And on the TIN, we do have a list of resources. And we have the diff- a training grid, basically, that shows which master's programs and doctoral programs have it embedded and, and sometimes how embedded. Some, some have specializations or certificates, while others may just have a class and one internship. But we, we kind of count it all. So you can find that information there. So it is for people who've never heard about it and are interested, or it is for very established members. What we found when we opened um, the TIN up and when we look at our membership, we actually have a lot of clinical fellows that are in there. And we actually thought we'd have more students and early career professionals, but our primary membership is clinical fellows. And so there are all these MFTs who have been working for honestly a long time in the medical field, and we just had no idea they were out there. And so they are they're looking for community and connection. And so we really span the whole spectrum. So we're trying to offer things for those who've never heard about it and need a definition of medical family therapy or what does a family therapist do in healthcare, and those who've been working for 20, 25 years and want to contribute to the field or, or learn even more advanced skills. That's awesome. One of our first episodes of the podcast in 2018, we had An- uh, Angela and Jennifer on and they did a wonderful job contextualizing the field and the integration between medical family therapy in the traditional practice of MFT, it is a, a great place to learn about that. Talk about other benefits. If, if, if I join this interest network, what will I get? Yeah, so we're trying to, we're continuing continuing to build out what we, what our membership wants. And so we're still trying to get an understanding of what everyone needs. And of course, if we have this broad spectrum of people who know very little about working in healthcare and those who are established, that's a, a broad spectrum to 
help support. So we want to understand what everybody needs and try to offer different resources. So on our, our website is fairly developed. We have some clinical resources, some current research. We have some different tips for how to work in healthcare settings. We have the community. There's a community thread where you can ask sort of any question of us, the leadership team or anyone in the community and get some feedback. We have an advocacy arm. And so we're working with WMFT to try to stay abreast of those advocacy and policy issues that relate to family therapists working in healthcare. We have a, a training tab and we talk about all of the training programs, the certificates, internships, fellowships. We have links to the different continuing education workshops that you can get from Teneo through WMFT that have been presented at previous conferences. A thing that we're really working on is our webinars. We really want to provide resources and information and networking and policy advocacy. So we're really just trying to connect members. We're trying to help train them and what they need to be trained on. So, so far we've had two webinars. In 2019, we had two webinars. We have at least two planned in 2020, but we may add more to that. And in 2019, we did a very early career. We're kind of calling it like get on board the, I think it's get on board the medical family therapy healthcare train. And so the first stop was uh, preparing for an education in medical family therapy and some of the basics of what you need to learn. And the second stop was how do I get a job or an internship in medical family therapy? And so we had a a panel of people on the second one talking about how they got their internships, how they got their jobs. And the first one was our leadership team, um, which is myself, Ty, Angela, and Kelly. And we talked about our own careers in medical family therapy and where we've been. So we continue to have new ideas for webinars, and we want to hear from the membership as well about what topics they're interested in, but we're thinking about ethics and psychopharmacology, self of therapist, um, how to get um, sort of job training 101, what to do your first two weeks on the job, things like that. We're always trying to think of what's practical, what do people need? Um, how can we best train our membership to start working in healthcare? That's wonderful. And again, it is, is member driven and it's really simple to be a part of it. So if you're a member of the AMFT, you go to amft.org, you go to that engage and network tab, you pull down to the third option, which is topical interest networks. And there you'll see family therapist and healthcare. And AMFT lets you join two ways, either uh, during the initial application or your renewal, or you can now join at any time, mid-renewal. Very simple. So lots of great resources. And thank you for sharing those, uh, Jackie. And I'm, I'm hoping after people listen to this, uh, we'll get some new members to the Family Therapist and Healthcare Special Interest Network. All right. A lot of important info, news you can use. The Interest networks, all part of the new AAMFT. So I'm going to run down the list of the current interest networks. And also, if you're interested in knowing more about two of those, which would be Family Therapists in Schools and the Queer and Trans Advocacy Network, also known as QTAN, you can go back to amft.org. Or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, I like Apple Podcasts, but you can go to Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and listen to our back installments from earlier in the year, where we talked to the head of QTAN and the head of the Family Therapist in Schools. So in addition to Family Therapist in Healthcare and the Couples and Intimate Relationship Networks, the other Special interest networks that you can belong to are Margins to Center. That's all about cultural connections among MFTs. There's MFTs working with trauma. There's systemic therapy across the lifespan. 
telehealth and technology, very popular one, especially in the midst of our global pandemic, and then working with military personnel and their families, all part of the new AMFT. Once again, you heard each of those chairs mention it in their own way, but there's if you're interested in adding one of these engagement topical interest networks to your membership, here's what you do. During your initial application, if you're new to AAMFT or during renewal, you just select the program to add your membership through the online application at amft.org or mid-renewal cycle, you click join now and add the program and it will do it on a prorated basis. You can always call AAMFT at 703-838-9808. During regular business hours, you can email them at central at aamft.org. One of their membership staff will assist you in adding one of these programs. You can also find the list of fees based on your membership category on the website. As always, I love hearing from you all. We go back and forth between what is going on within the association and we move towards topical interest areas that affect every MFT content areas and we mix that in with talking to great pioneers and innovators in the field all for you on the AAMFT podcast get a hold of me at info at elikaram.com e-l-i-k-a-r-a-m.com you can follow the conversation on twitter the AMFT is just at the AAMFT and I'm at Dr. Eli Live until next time my friends stay systemic